my cat ate a bite out of the sponge. And so I had to throw it in the garbage. Oh my God. Is that what the first picture is? No, no. That's fuck up number two. Welcome to The Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we rewatch and discuss The Great British Bake Off. We're up to Series 8, Episode 5, Pudding Week. This is the week that made me realize once and for all that perhaps I don't like puddings. (laughs) I've never had a steamed pudding. My reference point is always the kind of steamed sponge cake you can get at dim sum. Oh. uh, Which I just learned is actually made with like a fermented sourdough starter type thing like that's part of how they get it to have that rise in the air pockets Um, and that's why it's so impossible to make at home because there's like no amount of baking powder you can dump in it that's going to make it do that (laughs) do you like that pudding I love that cake I don't know if it's like it's a steamed cake I don't know if it's the same as a British pudding Um, Because it's from like Hong Kong and like Canton, I always assumed that it came from Britain because that would make sense to me, right? Hong Kong was a British colony, but apparently it actually came from Malaysia. So the Brits are not the only people steaming cakes. That's no, I mean, I feel like it's easier to have a stovetop situation than an oven situation. Like, that's why we had petit four. Like, historically, as baking was developing, people boiled and steamed stuff more than they had it in a little hot box. For a different episode of the Rough Puffs, I made sticky toffee pudding. Mm -hmm. And I did like that. But I just, I think in general, like unless my English family was coming to visit, I, I don't think that it would be what I would prioritize to eat at my house. Although it seems to have a lot of nostalgia for the bakers. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, right? Is I eat, like so the signature this week is steam school pudding. Yeah. There, you know, the nostalgia is implied, right? That this is like something you ate in your school days. This is something that was provided as part of your hot lunch in elementary school. For the older participants. Yes. Yes. Because uh Liam is like, yeah, no, that didn't exist by the time yeah. I went to school. Yeah. And Julia as well, but that's both because she's 21 and because she grew up in, in Siberia. There is a pretty hilarious moment where Paul is like, how do you say steamed pudding in Russian? And Julia is like, how the fuck should I know? <laughs> Why would I have cause to know about that? Paul, we learned that Paul loves school puddings. It's like one of his favorite things in the world. I'm mm. guessing... Probably and for nostalgia reasons. Yeah, so they have to make these. They do have to steam them. They have to cook them on top of the cooker. They say that would just say stove instead of in the oven. And that's supposed to be part of the challenge. I mean, maybe this is kind of an, an inane thing to say, but Prue says bakers are usually good at using the oven. So this time we're making them <laughs> use the cooker. They, they, they highlight that it's like hard to tell if something is steaming correctly, right? Like when you're just staring in through a, a glass lid covered in condensation being like, is this going well? I have no idea. Yeah, that's true. Is this done? Who can say? I feel like the only way to do it is to is to have done it before, which we learn that Stacy has because she has practiced her Bakewell tart steamed school pudding 17 times before they come to the tent. Which is 
bananas. Like, I, I don't think, like, taking my favorite, one of my favorite bakes, the Smitten Kitchen I Want Chocolate Cake Cake, which I make because it's a pretty simple recipe and it tastes good and it's very chocolatey. I don't think I've made that 17 times in the past five years. But if you were going to be bringing it to a competition, I could see you baking a ton of them and then like giving them out to everyone in the neighborhood. Like just just for the sheer competitiveness and ambition and perfection. Not about because you wanted to eat 17 chocolate cakes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I will probably never know. But I feel like I'd probably max out around five or six. Because if you think about it, like if it depends on the interval between the, the weeks, but they're practicing two different bakes. And let's say she had two weeks, like, does she not have a job? It's not like she made the same recipe over and over again necessarily. Like she was probably iterating on it, right? Trying to make it better each time. And I can see getting obsessed with that. Like sometimes if I'm like really sure I could make a recipe better, we might eat the same meal like many, many times as I'm like trying to get it right. Um, This is the kind of thing I would expect to be really up Stacey's alley because it is something, you know, for children, something classically British, something. (laughs) I would not have guessed that this would be like a classic bake for Stacey because it has nothing garish about it. Nothing is hot pink or neon green. They they don't go wild with the decorations as a group, but I feel like Stacey, hers looks like, um, you know, like a grandmother's brooch. Hers had like neat little lines of fruit. And it's contrasted with Liam's because he makes the same thing. They both do Bakewell tart flavored steamed school puddings and I loved how his looked his looked really um, modern and kind of sexy like he used dark cherries uh, and just a few of them and then there was kind of a sprinkled scattered effect they both apparently taste pretty well but Liam's is stodgy and Stacy's has the right texture and yeah she gets it yeah she gets a handshake Liam's uh, apparently was overmixed, and so the gluten got really strong uh, yeah. but it sounded like he was close to getting a handshake. Like Paul says, like, and that's why I can't give you a handshake as though that were in consideration. And in the talking head, Liam is like, oh, so close. He handed out so many handshakes. You know what I was really, I was really excited. So Sophie does a ginger, fig, and honey steamed school pudding. And that sounds good to me. She lines her pans with figs. And I thought that was going to be like really beautiful, but it ends up the figs kind of like sink in and it looks a little like horror movie instead of pretty. Like I was expecting kind of like a upside down cake type effect and that's not what happens. She makes a Tonka bean mascarpone cream, mascarpone cream. And so the Tonka bean is banned in the United States because it's toxic in high doses. And because it has like a slight anti-inflammatory effect, uh, people use it for medicine in ways they shouldn't. And they use it as like an aphrodisiac. And it also smells really good, apparently. So people put it in perfumes and cosmetics and things like that. But people do like illicitly import it into the US to use it in cooking. Paul says it's like spicy vanilla. I saw a description that said it's like vanilla, almond, clove, cinnamon, and amaretto all at once, uh, which Ooh. does sound pretty good. I actually was not as like interested in the base flavor of Sophie's as you were, but just the sheer like you can't get that here kind of <laughs> uh, made it interesting to me. Made that one like probably my number two choice. Kate made something she called a Mr. Darcy's steamy like scene steamed school pudding. With Earl Grey and a frisson of lemon and a terrible custard um, that looks like poured hot milk. And Paul says Earl Grey will lose to lemon every day of the week. And it turns out that he is correct in this instance. But I like 
Earl Grey and lemon together, it says annoyed about that. To say, like, across the board, to say that that's a bad combination, I feel like it's rude. He didn't say it was a bad combination. He just said the lemon would overpower it in a baked good. And I bet that's generally true. Like, I bet you can't have more than, like, a drop of lemon if you're trying yeah, to make, that's make the combination. Um, yeah, but, I mean, everyone puts lemon in their Earl Grey tea. I think that that's, yeah. that's a given. So Stephen, Stevens would have been my number one choice. Uh, he does a lemon steam oh, yeah. pudding with black currant drizzle, uh, and he also injects it into it to create like a streaky effect. When Yan sees her, his injector, she goes, "Wow, that's the kind of thing you inseminate cows with," <laughs> which I loved. His also looked simple and elegant. You know, he had just the the fruit heaped on top, and it was like a nice dark, rich color down the paler cake. You know, simple, perfect. He gets a handshake. Yan gets also a handshake. gets a handshake for her um, two kinds of mango fruit hat thing. Yeah. So first of all, when Prue eats it, she makes one of those involuntary like mm, noises, which you don't get a lot. And I'm not sure we've ever gotten from Prue, actually. But what I loved about that segment is that Yan has no chill whatsoever. Like when Paul shakes her hand, she puts like another hand on top of his and she's like freaking out while they're still shaking hands. You know, she like turns her head away and is like, she's turning red and she's going like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then in the talking head, they don't show her saying anything. They just show her like jumping up and down in a circle being so yeah. Yeah, that was really sweet. She uses what she calls normal mangoes and then also Alfonso mangoes. And she only sings the virtues of the Alfonso mango. So I'm not sure like why the normal mango also needs to be there. But it's nice that she gets a handshake. I love that she's just like like undoubtedly herself at all times. Like yes. it's a pretty like one-to-one pipeline from like internal feeling to what's happening externally. Yes. And I feel like in this episode, the editing kind of highlighted those two possible kinds of personalities. When they're taking them out of the steamer, they show Stacy going like, oh yeah, fire! And like pounding her fists in the air and being really excited. And then they cut immediately to Steven lifting his lid and his very like serious summer voice being like, it's good. I'm pleased with it. <laughs> and then later in a talking head, they show Sophie being like very stern and being like, I needed this. It puts me in a better position going forward for tomorrow. And then they cut to Liam being like, that was sick. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring up Sophie as the other, Sophie and Steven as our like reserved fancy people. Yes. It's like a slower burn to like someone who has a personality like that. It has to like accumulate over time and you have to learn how to read these like tiny signals that yes. signal like displeasure or enjoyment. Did you get the historical segment? I did. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. Okay, what'd you hate about it? Sandy is not good at this type of thing. Uh, so it's so it's about it's you know it's it's about the steam pudding. Um, and it's, it's also sa- about, it's, don't it's about, forget that it's also about humble bragging several times that Sandy went to Cambridge. Yes. So that's what I was gonna say. It sounds like it's, she's bragging about going to Cambridge. She's not good at like doing a reaction shot. She asks like serious clarifying questions, which is like. That's not what we're doing here, Sandy. She doesn't do it the way you're supposed to do it. She does it kind of like she's doing like a serious documentary until the very end where she just makes like an obvious joke about it giving you a heart attack because there's like so much suet and butter in it. Uh, I I don't know. I was was very disappointed. I was like, Sandy did not understand the assignment. No, that's true. But contrasting her personality with Noel, Mel, and Sue, 
Maybe she's just not the right person to send for the historical segment. She doesn't really know how to banter that well with people. Actually, that's kind of what makes her like not that great a host. That was what's so great about Mel is that she would go really far. It wasn't just that she was funny. It's that she was like crafting a bit. You know, she was kind of yeah. sucking the baker into like into doing like a ridiculous <laughs> bit with her. Like she like she was kind of pushing absurdity, which is which is incredible. I don't know. Maybe like Sandy was just, as you said, not the right person or wasn't ready to make that leap yet or didn't want to like ruin the dignity of Cambridge Ugh. <laughs> I don't know I've never been there maybe a pall falls upon you when you enter the toweled halls <laughs> so I just wanted to make the connection that Paul says he loves school puddings and then he gives out three handshakes and that made me wonder if he was more likely to give handshakes for bakes that he like already knows that he enjoys so the technical, um, they have staggered start times for in order to have a precise judging time. They have to make six molten chocolate puddings filled with peanut butter. Uh, the peanut butter has to be runny and not congealed, but you have to. The cake has to be cooked. So I've talked about a place uh, in Seattle called Hot Cakes before, but they make this exact thing. Uh, they make like a molten oh. chocolate cake filled with peanut butter uh, and then they also put peanuts and caramel and vanilla ice cream with it and the whole thing is gluten-free and it can be made dairy-free because they also have a dairy-free vanilla oh ice cream God. and they and it's you know made to order like it you know it takes 20 minutes i will bring you there if you come to visit me yes please i had already made a mental note about that yeah i think that this one is it's pretty tricky because the bake time for it is 10 minutes which is pretty low I was thinking about it, and when you make muffins, the bake time for a muffin is anywhere from like 12 to 18 minutes, depending on the recipe. And so I feel like if I was looking at the size of the puddings, like the size of the pudding tin, it would be really easy to stray more towards the like 18, 20 minute side versus the like 10 minute side if you'd never done it before. And I've actually never made molten cakes before. You know what's interesting? James and Yan guessed eight and 10 minutes. So Yan actually theoretically yeah. got the time right, oh, but yeah. hers ended up being really under. Like hers was like raw. And then Liam yeah. guessed like 12 to 15. And then he thought his were extremely underdone. He was like, they're so underdone. I'm out of time. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he went and like hid behind his bench because he couldn't stand to, to see the reaction. <laughs> yeah. And he was second. Like his were like perfect. So I, I agree. I think there's something very, very unintuitive about this. Stephen and Kate guessed 25 and 35 minutes, right? So theirs oh, were wow. just okay, that's pretty, yeah. rock solid in the center. Kate's was like a total disaster, actually. Hers, it was, she came in eighth. Yeah, they cracked and they spread at the bottom. Like the, hers were like little hats, you know? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> also, there was something very hilarious about seeing Paul and Prue like sitting there with their backs turned to the all of the bakers the whole time. I feel like having to do the challenge while like staring at the backs of their heads would make it like 10 times harder for me. Yeah, it's really only Sophie who's position close enough and I guess has good enough hearing to be able to understand like a little bit of what they're saying yes. and so there are moments at this bake because there's the staggered start and the staggered like eating time mm -hmm. where people are like hey Stacey yeah. what the fuck are they saying <laughs> most of the people who who take like higher places in the ranking are the folks whose molten chocolate cakes are tasted towards the beginning of the tasting so at first it seems like everyone's doing really well and then it just gets worse mm -hmm. and worse. Mm -hmm. Yan presents hers in like 
like a, a line. A dick shape. <laughs> it's like four in a row vertically and then two at the bottom clustered together. Yep. And she says, if you're going to serve a cake, send it phallic. She's at that moment, like hugging Julia while she makes that joke because Julia did great. Like she was third. Uh, her, her cake was perfect. She just didn't have quite oh, enough yeah. peanut butter filling, but she was sort of melting down emotionally. I think because she was the first oh one gosh. to be judged. Uh, she was like really freaked out. And I think being alone in the tent, even for like that little bit of staggered time kind of got in her head. I will also say the recipe they had was incredibly sparse. Like every time the camera showed it, it was like so few ingredients and so few instructions. It looked like they had a paper with five bullet points on it. And I was like, oh God. Yeah, it seemed pretty rough. It's a bit of a deceptively tricky technical challenge because in some ways it's just like a batter and a filling. I mean, Stephen, who came in fifth, kind of understood technically what he was supposed to do in terms of like layering the filling and the batter, but he overcooks his, as we discussed earlier. He seemed really scatterbrained while they were cooking, though. Like, they showed a lot of shots of him kind of running back and forth across his bench doing nothing, like, kind of frantically, and being like, did I turn the oven on? Like, what was I doing? Sophie actually did forget to turn the oven on, interestingly. She did. And she came in first. I don't have a lot else to say (laughs) about the molten chocolate. I had a lot to say about steam pudding. Sometimes one does. All right, shall we move along to Andrea's Baking Corner? Let's do it. This time around, I decided I would challenge myself and make the showstopper, um, which is a trifle terrine. My grandma Garcia, for as long as I can remember, has always made trifles. It's like one of her like iconic food things. In fact, she once brought me a trifle. My family came to visit from Ontario to Montreal for Thanksgiving. And my grandma Garcia asked if she could bring something. And I was like, trifle, please. Before I even could like think about like, oh, that's a silly request. How does she transport um, it? In a cooler. Yeah, they figured it out. So she was coming in a car? Yeah, they came in a car. And it didn't collapse or it sink survived. into itself or anything? No, it did well. Anyway, I decided I, would sh- I should try the trifle terrine, which is the showstopper. But the fact that they make it a terrine and not like a trifle trifle, it means that you have to turn it out. Yeah. So the whole thing kind of is freestanding and then you have to be able to slice it. And so I thought... Okay, I'm going to use orange juice to make my jello. I'm going to do a chocolate sponge. I'm going to do a classic pastry cream. And then I'm going to do another chocolate sponge. And it's going to kind of be like an orange chocolate trifle tureen. And I will top it with candied oranges dipped in chocolate. And it'll be beautiful. And uh, <clears throat> it was not beautiful. This sounds like a very Andrea combination of flavors. I thought it would be good. And I thought that I had like thought it out well. And I looked at some of the other options from what the bakers had made. And I think it's Sophie who who actually like makes macarons in order to like grind them up. Some of them are incredibly complex. They have bavrois, they have blah, blah. I thought <laughs> I set myself something that would work pretty well and turn out okay. And I decided to do it in a loaf tin lined with saran wrap well it didn't really work out you can sort of see the pictures it looks like soft but it looks good it, it looks like um i meant this as a positive thing but it sounds mean in my head now it. it's okay i can take it i was gonna say it it looks like uh 
Like it, this individual slice would be, you know, in a plastic clamshell, like on the ferry in a cafeteria, you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's that kind of dessert. But then I feel like the little candied oranges on top make it seem like fancy. I felt like it looked like a bit of a mess. In the showstopper, Liam also does kind of a pretty similar homemade jello to what I did which is like orange with a granulated gelatin. A lot of them use sheet gelatin, which I've never really worked with and it's harder to get here. I put chunks of orange in it. It tasted good like when everything was kind of mixed together because mm-hmm. the orange was a little, I left it a little too like tart. Uh. And then it started falling apart when I tried to slice it so that it would be clean because I had the orange chunks in. Those chunks were like making it all fall apart. You had prepared me emotionally for like a, comical disaster and this is not a comical disaster this is like it's a little squidgy on one end Uh. sounds like something you know i would pay six dollars for on the ferry i'd be happy i made it when sinclair and willer were away and i felt so embarrassed about it that i ate the whole thing myself before they came back (laughs) i i don't know what kind of judgment you're expecting from your very young child (laughs) over delicious treats you need to spend more time with her in person very discerning palate. <laughs> I believe that. I feel like you've intentionally, unintentionally cultivated that quality. I have. It is my fault. Um, and she likes to watch a lot of like baking challenge shows. So she sees mm. bakes being judged a lot. Um, I made this thinking we were going to be recording like weeks ago and then you got COVID. And then I just had a lot of time to stew in my own juices. So I, <laughs> I tried again. <laughs> I thought that I would bake a strawberry mousse with strawberry jelly cake in a circular pan and this time do it in a, um, what I think of as a cheesecake pan. Spring form. Yeah, spring form. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll just actually make strawberry jello because I'm not that good at jelly and it's basically the same thing. And maybe I'll get like a better clarity from it. Like strawberry jello, like from the packet? From the packet. Oh, Kate uses custard powder. So I felt like I'd I'd been given a go ahead for that. Again, Sink and Will were away, but this was a different weekend. They went to a family reunion that I, I stayed home for. I made a vanilla cake layer. I put it on the kitchen table too cool and my cat ate a bite out of the sponge and so I had to throw it in the garbage oh my god is that what the first picture is no no that's fuck up number two so then I remade the sponge and wait, then wait, sorry sorry okay you threw away the whole sponge because your cat took a bite out of it yeah you couldn't cut around it and just eat it it by was itself? right in the center it was like in the center I guess oh, I could have no. eaten it I could have like cut the scraps and eaten it she looks so proud of herself this cat <laughs> anyway made a second sponge I don't know what I was thinking but I mixed up the jello I let it cool to room temperature and then I started pouring it on the sponge and it just disintegrated the sponge like immediately that's the second picture. And and actually like there was just liquid jello just dripping. It came through the sides of the spring form and then it went through the cracks of the kitchen table and then it was dripping onto the floor. In the picture it does just look like you spilled something on on a sponge and it got a little wet. But thinking about it oozing through a sponge form pan and getting all over your kitchen is quite upsetting. So the picture that I took, that spring form pan at that point is sitting in my sink. It's like, oh, I should document this. So I had only used half the jello. Like I still had a bowl with theoretical jello in it. So then my next thing was, what if I take a cake pan 
I grease it and line it with parchment paper at the bottom. And then I put the jello in. And then I put mousse on top of that. And then I put the sponge cake layer on top of that. And then I invert it like I did the first time. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I woke up in the, the next morning and the parchment paper was floating halfway up, like in between the jello layer. And <laughs> I have to tell you, like, I didn't have the presence of mind to take a photo of that because I just, like, <laughs> I just, like, fished in and ripped it out with my hand as if I was playing, like, Mortal Kombat, like, in the, like, final death scene. Just like, Rah! I'm so sorry your kid didn't get to see that, that she yeah. was out of town. Like, if I were a kid, I would love that. I would love seeing an adult stick their hand straight in the jello. <laughs> I don't even like Jello. I have to say, like, I don't like Jello. But I had already made a special trip up to the grocery store to get that Jello um, to make this bake, and then I was I was just out of Jello. So I decided, all right, why don't I go back to the idea of having a sponge cake at the bottom in a springform pan, and then I'm gonna try this like mousse recipe, the strawberry mousse recipe that is on the Ricardo website. And then I'll make a, uh, like a cornstarch strawberry jelly kind of thing for the top of this. This seems easier to not fuck up. I diverted half my mousse into silicone molds that I used for the tea cakes because I was like, listen, if when I pour this mousse on, it also disintegrates the sponge, I'm going to lose my shit so hard if I don't have like, if I haven't saved like something from this bake, but... It actually worked out. It actually worked out this time. The spring form was lined at both the bottom and on the sides with parchment paper. I made this little collar and snugged it up so that I wouldn't have that like running through problem again. Fingers crossed. And I didn't. It worked okay. It didn't disintegrate the sponge. I was worried it wasn't going to solidify. It did solidify. I made the gelée. And I decorated it with whipped cream and sliced strawberries. It tasted quite good. Everybody, everybody liked it. Can I ask one question from earlier? Um, what happened to the sink cake? Like the cake that got liquid gelatin all over it? Oh, garbage. You know, mentally speaking, where where Ian's at when he like bins his baked Alaska? Yes. It was like that kind of situation. It wasn't a like, oh, maybe this will still t No, it was like a... Fuck this bullshit. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. So in the final product, the, the gelée looks really good. It's like a nice, vibrant color, and it's like a nice thin layer. I like um, the fact that it is a thin layer, and it's quite strawberry-flavored. It's quite it's tart, again. But because the ratio is such that you have like a bunch of mousse and then a little bit of this tart layer, it just works a lot better than um, having this like the same proportion of jello to whatever. And for me, I actually liked this, whereas I, I don't like Jell-O. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure. It's like not nearly as fancy as what everyone makes the show supper challenge. But I ended up after try like, I don't know, one million and seven, happily eating this stupid cake. And so did my whole stupid family. That's what's most important. So the show supper this week is a trifle terrine challenge. So excited to talk about those even more. <laughs> um, yeah, as you mentioned in your baking corner, the slice needs to look as good as the whole. It needs a baked element, a set custard or mousse, and a jelly. Uh, they have four and a half hours. 
uh, going into it, um, James is in trouble. We haven't talked about him a lot this episode, but That's true. I feel like people in general were doing pretty well this week. Uh, and he, you know, he also had uh, a raw molten cake in the technical and was just kind of unremarkable in the signature. Um, Kate is in trouble. Um, even though she was star baker last week, that's a, that's a big fall from grace. Something she said, uh, after her signature went very poorly was, uh, it's not the end of the world. It's just a pudding. So I appreciate that emotional strength. Steven tries something interesting. Uh, he makes yeah. a American flag trifle terrine, uh, where he pipes into the gelatin, a long column of white chocolate and coconut custard, I believe, um, using like a star-shaped tip for his piping bag so that when you cut into the terrine, you get this very cool, you get stars in the cross sections uh, to create, you know, an American flag. There's white stars in the blue sections and then there's red and white stripes that are like there's a coconut sponge base and then the, I think the, the layers are both jelly and more of this custard. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It looks beautiful. But he had to set it pretty hard to get the mm-hmm. super clean lines that he gets. And mm-hmm. the result is that it, to me, it doesn't look that appetizing. And then it isn't very appetizing. Yes. It's yes. like um, Paul likens it to rubber. Oh, I'm sorry. I was mistaken. The, the stars are actually just uh, white chocolate, butter, and sugar, which, oh. Blech. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, but he, like, he he does make a, a white chocolate and coconut custard, but that's what the white stripes are. But yeah, okay. uh, I feel like you can tell looking at it that it, it doesn't look very tasty. Um, it looks no. decorative. Um, it looks rubbery. Like it, it doesn't have a good wobble. No. The custard to jelly ratio does not seem quite right. Like Too much jello. Do you like jello? I do, yes. Yeah. I, th- I don't think it's a personal failing. I just have to not like it. <laughs> you said it like it was. You said it like you were highly suspicious. You were like, Sorry. do you like Jello? Are you one of those people? <laughs> Wait, you're judgmental in our show note description. It's not supposed to be me. <laughs> you're uh, righteously judgmental. I think I'm like oh, no. catty judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's worse. All right. So Yan also makes something that's very like gelatin forward at the top. Like she has this clear layer on the top of her trifle terrine and she's got fruit in there. And then she does a super cool thing with the half orb where she injects color into it to make it look like a poppy using Mm -hmm. like this syringe thing. It looks Mm -hmm. amazing. I feel like she always airs on the side of more, so she makes these like cityscape chocolate things on the side of her cake that feel like a hair too much to me. Oh, I love them. Um, they, she does like the cityscape of London and the cityscape of Hong Kong, and they're yeah. it's recognizable. Like to me, that's that's crazy. Like not only does she have the poppy that looks like a poppy in this like you know beautiful gelatin fruitscape thing, like you could recognize those skylines even though they're made out of chocolate, like. When I heard the story of her cake, I was like, that sounds like too much. Like she did it in honor of her father who served in the Royal Navy and then was allowed to bring his his whole family to the UK. From Hong Kong. We've talked about kind of having issues with cakes that are lo- overloaded with symbology in this way. Yeah. But when I saw it, I disagreed. I thought every piece of it was recognizable and understandable. It wasn't just like a mishmash of symbols. I, yeah, I thought the whole thing looked so good. For me, I feel like they're really cool independently and like one or the other would have been great but just all together aesthetically it, it, aesthetically it was just like a hair it was just a little too much for me but I think that Yan and I just have like different aesthetics because she also like last week she did the jungle cake like she's just like 
she's a more as more person. And I appreciate her version of more as more than Stacy's version of more as more, which we also get in a very Stacy fashion in this challenge. I will say credit where credit is due. She uses like a bunt pan form and she must have greased it really, really well because she puts jello in the top and it unmolds beautifully. So, so that's, the end of everything nice I'll say about it because she makes the sponge the most garish pink. She makes beautiful macarons, but again, in a garish pink. It's just like the most brightly colored thing that looks like you might question if it was edible or if it was going to poison you. Okay, one, what is it with her and chili and trop tropical fruit? Oh, like yeah. this is this is a definitely a go-to for her. I wrote down that it looks like a 1970s poolside sex party. And I don't know quite what I meant by that, but I feel like somehow those two things are linked, definitely. You know, I, I think it looks exactly the way she wanted it to, and the judges like it. Paul even says he thought the chili wouldn't work. He was like, who puts chili in trifle? But that it does. He said that if heat at the end is really interesting. Um, I just, I realized I just hate this color in food. The, the Asian supermarket I go to, they have these like rice balls that you can get. And one of them is topped with sausages that are this pink color. Oh, and yeah. I think it's so gross. Like, you know, sometimes sausages are like this sort of artificial red color. And I think that's fine. Um, but this, this supermarket, they have both barbecue pork and sausages that are sometimes like bright fuchsia. And you yeah. look at them and you're like, that's not a food color, you know, like your instinct is not <laughs> to eat that. It looks, it looks plastic. It looks like a toy or something like it, it, it squicks me out. That's the word, right? It's like, I have some kind of like visceral, like Ugh, when I see food that is fuchsia. Sophie makes a raspberry yuzu and white chocolate uh, trifle terrine in a bouche mold. Like I guess the mold you would, what are they? Those like Noelle Christmas bouche. log. Yeah, yeah. Noel bouche, um, which is smart because one of the things that's tricky about this challenge is unmolding it so that it has like clean lines or looks interesting. And it's actually hard to put things on top of jelly. I hadn't really thought about this when I designed my first one. I was thinking like, oh, I'll just put them on top. But no, that doesn't really work um, because the jello's slippery. So anyway, using a bouche mold and then and then piping like whipped cream or something on top that kind of allows you to decorate a little bit. I was really surprised that the judges loved her so much, actually. I thought hers looked a little boring and it was a little like squidgy at the sides, like your first attempt was, um, but they didn't yeah. mention that at all. Like hers, hers looked kind of melted, uh, but the judges did not say anything about it. Um, they talked about how delicious it was, how pretty it was, how it looked really like high class and elegant, um, you know, like the kind of thing you get at a Michelin star restaurant. Earlier in the episode, Sophie mentioned that she's fascinated by Japanese patisserie. And I did think it was like kind of in that vein because like the, the decorations are kind of cutesy and like perfectly geometrical. Mm. My thought was like, this looks like the kind of thing that would be at the Sailor Moon Cafe, not like <laughs> a high end Japanese patisserie. <laughs> <laughs> this is like amusement park Japanese patisserie, but I, I believe Paul and Prue and they say it just, it was, it tasted just, you know, utterly amazing. So yeah. And I bet that the textures were good because that thing that makes it like just a little bit squidgy at the sides, like that's actually kind of the nicer version to eat a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, true. James had an issue where his, his layers were like super solid, but his layers were super solid. Like finding the balance between those two things is really tricky in a challenge like this. And I feel like if I had to choose 
I would err on the side of that little bit of squidginess because that's what's going to make it tastier. But I will also say, like, this is why trifles come in glass bowls. Put it in the glass bowls so that people can see the layers that are beautiful that you've, like, labored over. But you can have, like, a normal custard that way. James has the additional problem of the layers are kind of flavorless. Like, they're kind of flat sweet except for his Prosecco jelly. Paul says the whole thing is, like, kind of sickly because it's so sweet and there's, like, not really flavors. Julia's jelly... I don't know what happened to the texture of it. It it doesn't look like oh, yeah. smooth. It's like a a little chunky in yeah. a way that was like powerfully off-putting to me. It um, was the color too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a pale yellow uh and they they talked about it making like the sponge a bit soggy and it not being very flavorful, but no, like No, she purposefully made her sponge soggy. Paul was talking about, you know how she dips the side uh, sponge in like juice so that she can do like a zebra pattern. I think that's what he was talking about. But it's also possible her jello made the bottom layer soggy too. Maybe she had two different sog problems. The jello looked to me like a sea creature or like a human excretion <laughs> of some kind. Like these are my two thoughts. Like I'm not eating that. It was my thought. I don't think the stripy sponge thing was was that cute. It wasn't worth it, I think. No. I would give her marks for um, like a little bit of originality in terms of like how she chose to approach this bake because when I was googling around for inspiration I didn't come across anything that looked like hers I mean that might have been for a reason yeah <laughs> okay so when you said it looked like a sea creature you can also do this if you want to do it without gelatin you can do an agar agar version which is derived from seaweed so maybe you could make like a sea creature a thematic <laughs> For kicks. I don't want to eat a raw jellyfish. It's not, that's not an appealing thought. I don't like that texture of food in general. Ecologically, I believe we're supposed to be eating, if we're going to continue eating animals as much as we do, we're supposed to eat more jellyfish because they do well in the conditions we've created and they sometimes like bloom. There are just too many jellyfish. But um, the like jellyfish cartilage gel crunch variety of foods i'd have to be real hungry to eat any of those varieties of foods i like the cartilage crunch type especially when they're prepared correctly like i like you know really finely sliced very well prepared pig's ear for example but i don't like chunky jelly like yeah (laughs) like she had on offer like that oh I know why that happened. So you know how we saw with my jello when I poured it on that it just disintegrated the sponge? Mm-hmm. I think that the way around that is to cool it to a point where it's like starting to solidify and then pour it in. And I think she went a little over. Oh, yeah. And then it sort of broke up when she put it in. I was worried that was going to happen with my mousse. I was babysitting the mousse that turned out well that was in that cake. I babysat that shit for like two hours cooling it in the fridge. Just being like, okay, is it starting to solidify? But like, but like pourable, but like whatever. It was annoying. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate having that explanation. Liam's I was super disappointed by. Uh, it yeah. sounded really good. He had a chai latte panna Yeah, I thought his sounded really delicious and his sounded really interesting, but then his jelly did not set. No. And apparently his brownies were tough too. So the, his whole thing was just kind of an unmitigated disaster. 
and uh, the camera zoomed in on his eyes in a way I hated. Like they wanted yeah. to catch him crying and he didn't. But I was like, come on, I don't need this. I don't need this like his eyelashes on my TV screen. He was like doubled over and like very upset. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if he was crying or not, but he's 19. Yeah, I felt I felt. Oh, God, I, my heart was like, oh, like, yeah, I felt real bad. Julia also balls her eyes out like several, yes. several times, but it feels a little less like it's a little less heartbreaking to see Julia ball her eyes out. And part of the reason she's bawling her eyes out is because she has these super high expectations for herself that she's like not quite meeting or something, but she's not doing that poorly. But yeah, it was heartbreaking to see Liam like that. In a way, I was glad that James went home um, for exactly that reason. Like, I feel like we saw Julia, Liam and James all be like, I think I'm going to go. Yeah. But I feel like Julia was like so heartbroken about it. Liam was like so So frustrated. And James was like, I think it's my time, you know? And then, and then when James did go home, I felt like he, you know, I feel like he handled it well. And this is some of the benefit of he's not 19 or 21. right? Yeah. He's he's older. Yeah. He's like grown man. Who's like solid and, you know, who's like emotionally solid and was like, yeah, I did the worst this weekend and I had a good time. It's like, it's time. He was really sweet. Like he got sent home and he was comforting. Yeah. He was comforting Julia. Yeah. Yeah. I I really, really liked James a lot. Yeah. You know, I think it was his time. Um, And in a way, it's like, it's, it's sad to see him go on like a personal level, because he's just like a lovely person to have around. But it did feel like the right decision this week and it was the least heartbreaking decision. Yeah, just just like separately from how they did as bakers. I felt like this was sort of the, the easiest one to watch out of the three possibilities. Yeah, and I do feel like it was fairly clear baking wise that he deserved to go home. Like for Liam, there were elements of his bakes that were, yeah, there are elements of his bakes that failed and there are elements that worked well. And then, yeah, Julia was a little bit choppier, but James kind of did poorly the whole way through. My my last thought, I think the only one I actually haven't talked about is Kate's. Um, and I just want to say that I liked that Kate made her Nan's recipe and that it also tasted like Paul's Nan's recipe. Yeah. <laughs> like that the custard powder flavor made him think of his grandma. Um, yeah. And so hers is like kind of basic, but like pretty effective. And uh, but I don't know, that was just like a cute moment for me somehow. And she did. A, yeah, she did a raspberry one. And an additionally nice thing about raspberries is they're high in pectin, and so they're yes. like um, just a bit of a safe bet. And then the flavor is delicious. It's classic for a reason. That's why you can make a raspberry jam without adding any pectin. I feel like that was really smart. And they're they're they were being asked to do something different with this challenge in like in the whole like making it a tureen thing. So I feel like playing it safe while translating it is is like a perfectly smart idea mm-hmm. i mean it didn't get our star star baker sophie got star baker uh this week congratulations sophie i only vaguely remember what you baked but <laughs> poor sophie okay uh this has been the rough puffs your hosts are andrea bennett and kim Fu. you can find us on twitter at rough puffs or on instagram at the rough puffs i assume there will be posts of both andrea's baking highs and lows from this week yeah um, we both also write books. Andrea's latest is an essay collection called Like a Boy But Not a Boy. And my latest is a story collection called Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century. Goodbye to James, whose terrine was terong. And congratulations to Sophie, whose custard passed mustard. <laughs> Ooh.
That one felt mean. Sorry, James. I was trying to imagine someone saying my terrine was too wrong, and it broke my heart a little. <laughs> what am I supposed to? Am I supposed to lie to preserve people's feelings? <laughs>